Hey, greetings all. Joe Snedeker here. Mr. Curiosity, they, they call me. When I say they call me, it's really nobody. <laughs> I call myself that for a name of a podcast. I don't know. Truth is, I am curious. And remember, if you have a, an interesting idea for this segment, there's so many cool, interesting, vibrant people in Northeastern PA or nationally. If you happen to have a connection for me, love to get them on the podcast. Shoot me an email, joe.snedeker at yahoo.com or joe.snedeker at wnep.com. Now today, all right, here's the scenario. A couple of weeks ago, I'm out in the WNEP backyard blabbering how I love to uh, listen to uh, Spotify while I'm bike riding, doing yard work. I'm a Spotify guy. Streaming music, I love it. I used to have millions of CDs and uh, cassettes and albums. I still do, but Spotify took all that away and I just stream everything now like so many other people. It's so convenient. So there I was blabbering about it on uh, WNEP. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Next thing I know, I get a letter a week later. Fancy letterhead. Joe Nardone's Gallery of Sound. I open up this letter. There it was, a well-written, handwritten, um, one to two page explanation of how, mm. how shall I say this? I don't have the letter on me now. Why would I? I'm too disorganized for that. But it was from Joe Nardone himself, the local promotion business music tycoon. And it was how... Um, he was very complimentary, flattering, informative in his letter, but yet a little tinge of, hey, Snedeker, watch what you say about streaming. It has taken down the industry. And he didn't mean it as, oh, woe is me. I used to make so much money off of selling records and albums, and now I can't because streaming. It wasn't that. It was just consider what you're saying. And it was great. And I appreciate him contacting me. So then I emailed him back and I said, let's do a podcast together. Because Joe Nardone, I don't know if you know this, is not only a musician, a concert promoter, and a uh, business tycoon who owns Joe Nardone's Gallery of Sound. I think there used to be, uh, I don't know, a lot of them all over the place in northeastern central Pennsylvania. So I don't know much about this guy. Remember, when I go into these interviews, I don't go uh, searching what they're all about, how old they are, how many kids they have, how much money they have. I just say, ah, oh, sounds like an interesting guy. I got to find out about this dude. And then we chat. Luckily, he agreed. And I did a nice interview with this guy. So I think you're going to like it. I don't know what to expect going into these things. And uh, he, he was great, man. You're, you're going to like this guy. And I found out a lot about him, including his interactions with Billy Joel and um, how many stores he's had and the the arc of time that he has gone through from the beginning of modern pop rock music till now. I don't know how old he is. You can do some quick math, but he's still vibrant and alive and passionate and filled with life. And that's what I love in a guy or girl or dog or cat. Not so much the cats. But anyway, here it is. Joan Ardone, baby. Woo! Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything, Mr. Curiosity. All right, folks. So here he is, the great Joe Nardone. Good Hi. morning, Joe. Yeah, great <laughs> to be here. Now, the first thing I have to ask is Nardone's Pizza. Is that the same spelling? Is that your like uh, cousin or something? What's with that? A distant relation. Oh, it I really thought. is. All right. Yes. So yes. the Nardones are con they're they're business tycoons. 
I, I don't know about that, but I, I've been, <laughs> been around a while. Let, let me give you my perspective on you, because here's the truth. Since I was a, I don't know, I, I don't want to date you, but since I was a teenager, Joe Nardone's Gallery of Sound has been a part of my life. I get concert tickets there. I used to just stroll around for hours and look at CDs and albums. To me, you're like a big celebrity, Joan Ardone, Joan Ardone's Gallery of Sound. I'd see you on TV. I'd hear commercials everywhere. Joan Ardone, Joan Ardone, Joan Ardone. And uh, the first thing I want to ask you is, where are you from? What's your history? What's the deal? Well, born, born in Wilkesbury and uh, locally uh, went to high school, Coughlin High School. And this is where my passion for music really started, because that's where the band really started. The, the band came before the record stores. Uh, well, wait, CCC, you're saying something. And again, I go to these into these interviews without any knowledge. So you're you, I see you as a business retailer of music. And you're saying, no, 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 I'm a musician first. Correct. We really started with the music first. And I didn't even uh, know that. So what's, yeah, what's yeah, the deal with that? You know, it was in those days, and this is before your time, uh, we we had a band that uh, started playing at the Catholic Youth Center in Wilkesbury. It was really the first rock and roll band to play. I mean, in those days, there, there was no nothing around. It was, there was Presley and Chuck Berry and Bill Haley. So we, we were the first band to start dances at the Catholic Youth Center. Oh and, my goodness, and, you know, what and, year? Uh, that was 1957. Okay, so late 50s. This is excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it was the kind of thing where we, we played and, and the kids would come into the Catholic Youth Center and, and we packed the place. And, and we had, in the band was a, was a drums, guitar, an accordion player, and uh, my sax. So uh, the accordion worked kind of because... Bill Haley had an accordion player in his band. So I thought, well, you know, if he can play the accordion with his band, I can use an accordion player too. So that worked out fine. And then the one, one day uh, somebody come up to, to me in the, in the bandstand. He said, Joe, there's a guy over here that would, would, would like to sing. Would you let him sing? I said, geez, I said, if, if, uh, if, he, if we know the song or we know the key, sure, let him come up. And he came up and he, and he and he started when the twilight is gone and he knocked them dead. I mean, killed them. And I hired him on the spot. And uh, so we were making at the four guys were making seven dollars a man a twenty eight dollars. So then I went to the supervisor of the CYC and I said, you know, I'm hiring a new guy and that makes us five guys. I'm going to need a raise. And he said, Joe, he said, do you know how many bands want to come in and play here? He said, they started to form bands there early in that time. So he said, Joe, guess what? You're fired. That was it. Gone. Gone. <laughs> so then we, we went to another ballroom called the Granada Ballroom, and that started the big ballroom business. Yes. So you were too demanding, you think? Is that what it was? <laughs> I asked for a raise. <laughs> Well, if, if you can back up a little bit. So you grew up being a, like from a musical family or not, you know, how did you get into it? You know, you know, not really. Uh, it's just, a, I, I have to say that my, my parents had a little lunchroom and, and there was a jukebox in there and I loved the jukebox. And, and I would, I would listen to the warm radio every night. And I, it was that kind of thing. And I finally got into music with taking some lessons and uh, I not, not, didn't turn out to be a great sax player, but I, I, I just good enough to get by. So then 
and that's where we started this thing in high school where the, the, we were we went to a club called the Key Club, and there was a there was a talent contest that they ran uh, statewide. So the uh, four it was the four stars at the time. We joined and we entered this uh, talent contest, and we won the state talent contest. And then we we from that we went into win the national uh, Key Club talent contest. Well, with that. We were, uh, were awarded a plaque and we went to Philadelphia to get the plaque. And uh, the night uh, we were playing, we uh, were fooling around in the hotel. I was tackled. I fell down. I broke my wrist. And, and you know, and I, I went to the hospital. I said, I said, Doc, I said, I, the next day, see, the award was also to play on Steel Pier in Atlantic City, which was a big thrill. So I said, can you can you put the cast on so I can move my fingers to play the horn? <laughs> And he did. He rigged it up so I could play the sax with the cast on. It worked out great. And that was the beginning. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. I think a, a lot of here's what a lot of people maybe my age or especially younger don't know. And now I know this um, and I'm not going to give your age. I don't know your age. I don't know if you want to give your age, but everyone I grew up. I was born in 66, grew up listening to rock and pop through the 70s and 80s. And I just assumed this thing called rock, you know, I was becoming of age when rock was new wave, pop, hardcore, punk, metal. It was everything. Yes, but you it know what it is, when you grow up with something, you just think, oh, yeah, it's here. So what? I didn't see the evolution of it. And when I talk to all of the bands that I listen to, when I hear about their, whether it's Aerosmith, Blue Oyster Cult, ACDC, The Who, whenever I list, uh, listen to an interview from any of those guys, they all say that this was building with Elvis and Bill Haley and the Comets and later the Beatles. And it was people like you that I guess first saw these three or four roots of rock and were inspired. And then it blew up from there. Correct. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Love that. It was what just like big band and in, in pretty boy singers that didn't write their own music or play their own instruments. Right. Right. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, the the uh, the evolution of the dance hall in the beginning was the Granada Ballroom, where we started to bring in recording artists like at the Granada Ballroom. Uh, we had Bobby Darren there. We had Jackie Wilson. We had Deanna the Belmonts. And then from there, we went and we uh, moved to Sansui Park. Now, that's a long story, but uh, if you want to hear a bit of it, I'll, I'll be glad. No, to I'm just, it. I'm more interested in how you saw this evolution of nothing into something. Like, how old were you when, when say, the Beatles started to change well, the art well, of music? You know, I, I was in the record business uh, when the Beatles exploded, which was about 1964. Am I right? Yeah. So, so you were at what point there? Where were you yes. in life in '60s? And I, I had a, uh, I was um, a concessionaire in a Wayne department store, which, which uh, I started my first little record store in downtown Wilkesbury, and it just did okay. And then I, I, I saw this uh, discount. But how old were you at the time? So, what made you do this? You, you, you just have that business way. Like you, are you 20 years old at the time? 19, 25? I don't know. You know, I, I didn't go to college, but I went to the Wilmick Seminary Dean School of Business, and I wanted to be in some kind of business. So <laughs> I, 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 I got out of there, and I said, well, I have to do something. So, And I loved music, and I, I, I opened this record store in downtown Wilkesbury, and uh, it was doing just okay. Could you it give was, us a year on that, or you don't want to do that? Pardon me? What year are we talking here? 
We're talking 1959, 60. And, and uh, it, my, my biggest competitor was a guy who was there many, many years called the Square Record Shop, a public square. So uh -huh. I, I, I was just doing okay. And then this department store opened up in, in Edwardsville and I went over there and I, I tried to make a deal. I said, what do you do here? Well, we have concessions. I said, well, let me let me sell records in here. And at the time, I was only selling records or nothing else to sell. So I went in there and and that was the beginning of the, the record business. And I was in the Wayne department store while the Beatles were exploding and the English British invasion came on. Uh, we went into eight tracks, of course, and cassettes. And we we then uh, so some things happened. They expanded into Taylor, Pennsylvania, uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey. And then at a certain point, they went bankrupt. And, and I, I had some problems then. And uh, so I, I, I luckily, fortunately, I had the band to live on and, and survived and existed. But, but then then comes the mall. Wyoming Valley Mall was opening. Oh, man. And, and uh, that was uh, 1972. But they they were, this is a national mall and then they don't put in local tenants. Yes. Record stores. So somehow my my dad, he, he knew somebody who knew somebody from Crown American. And they said, we'll give you a trial. So they, they gave me a little spot in the Wyoming Valley Mall. Get out. They, pardon me? Get out of here, really. Yeah, yeah they, they, it was a trial because they, they, here I am, this little yeah, but, guy from Wooksbury, and well, I big mall, national stores. And, and you know, what I, I, I don't understand it is if music was taking off at the time, why didn't that other retailer do good? I would think it would be an easy uh, business venture. Which one? Which retailer? The one that you said um, the concession place that they were selling albums and records. Well, no, th th this this uh, Wayne Department Store had it was a big discount store similar to like what we have now with Walmart. Okay. And, and hardware departments, they had shoe departments. They had oh, and they department. happen to sell records too. And I had records. And they, oh they, man! Yes, then so. You know, it, it, that that trial in the Wyoming Valley Mall lasted for over 30 years. Oh, God, that's so excellent. I, so, I, saw, I saw it all happen during that, that course of time. I mean, the, were there the, any were, were there any corporate competitors then? Yes. At the un, other end of the mall, there was a, a chain from Philadelphia uh, and I forget the name of it, but they were at the other end of the mall. And so we coexisted pretty good. I mean, yeah. I was local and I had Ticketmaster, which which you you mentioned, you bought tickets. Yes. And, and that that helped us a lot. Yes. So was it always called Joan Ardone's Gallery of Sound? <laughs> uh, the initial when, name? When, when I was in the wing department, there was nothing. I was just a record department. Oh. And the first store I had downtown Wilkesbury was called Joe Nardone Records. And that's it. So oh, I, I, it. I had to come up with a name to name this mall store. So I came up with the Gallery of Sound, which 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 worked out pretty good because it didn't tie me into records and 45 yes. cassettes. And it was work. It worked. So did you feel in the 70s when all this was exploding into the 80s, like you were at the forefront, like this was big. Were you like. Uh, like you couldn't even get enough inventory. Everything is selling. People are coming to you. Tickets, albums, cassettes. You've seen the evolution of all this. Was it crazy? It really, really was. You know, and and in that in the early seventies, like that, uh, what I tied in was bringing concerts. I did concerts uh, and had some really, really great concerts that tied in with my my store, and it and it 
gave me the association that hey, here's a guy who's who's bringing like it, at the at the we had Billy Joel up in Scranton, we had Joe Cocker in Woodbury, uh, you know, a, a memorable concert was King's College in uh, '77, maybe I forget the year, but the opening act was Queen. The oh my act. goodness, how hard to believe. Yes, opening act, and and the headliner was Mott the Hoople. Oh man, all the how young dudes. That how so how, that? what's your involvement with this? Like you, you, but I I was the promoter. I'm the guy who uh, talked with the agents. Oh man, out, I I love it. Price and you know the, the promotion, the publicity, and and you know. <laughs> There was an, another that was a great show. Could and you give I, me an example of that? Like, let's say right now it's back then and you say there's this new band queen. I want to get them. So what do you do? You 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 how do you find their how do you find their agent? Well, Joe, believe it or not, you know, in 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 that at the time, you have to understand that this was the first tour that Queen went on. They were nothing. So I didn't even care who the opening act was. It was not <laughs> the hoople that yes. I really wanted. Sure. And that that just happened to be part of the package. Oh, so they just came along with them and you thought, oh, whatever. Oh, sure. Well, they how are. do you get Mott the Hoople? Do their people contact you or do you contact them? Uh, you contact you. That's what helped. I was in the record business and I, I knew what was selling. So I, I would jump on it quick because if you didn't get them early in their career, you'd never get them. Not in Wilkesbury because you can't afford them. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Joe, do you remember the Sly and the Family Stone? Sure, I do. Everyday okay. people. <laughs> yes. I had them booked for Pocono Downs. And, and you know, my, my 10 year relationship with Sansweet Park was on a handshake. So I, I didn't really uh, know a lot of stuff about legal papers and all this stuff. So I, I had Sly and the Family Stone booked for Pocono Downs. And two days before the show, they decided that they heard too many bad things about Sly. And they said, let's not do the show. I ha I moved that oh, show man. to uh, Hunlock Creek in, in town in south of Wilkesbury. It was like a mini Woodstock because Sly was so hot at the time and cars were parked all over the place and walking into the this Hunlock Creek Palace Park, it was called. Unbelievable. So, so these are the things that, that were really a lot of fun. So is it a gamble when you say I'm going to get Sly and the Family Stone? Is this like a, a, a big business gamble? Like you well, now you it, have to promote and sell the tickets and hope everybody comes. Oh, it really is. It really is a big gamble because, you, you know, you have once you settle on a price, you have to send 50 percent, half of it in. And then when everything is done and said, the artists get paid first and the oh. promoter gets paid last. So it, it's, it's a it's a risky, risky business. So this was all going down in the 70s for 70s. you yes. and 80s. This is very interesting to me. Did you meet any of these uh, band uh, members or their agents or you have a good story? You know, you, you, you have to meet them because they're, they're the guys who want to make sure that you did everything right. So there, there's a writer that's attached. I'm sure you heard of the writer attached to it. And there's some stories that they, they tell you what they need in their dressing room. Some, some of them ask for colored M&Ms and all these kind of funny things. So but you were a part of that? You were a part of some of that? You, well, you had to be because you had to do the writer uh, page by page. And be Get sure out of here. Like, so oh, you, yeah. you, oh, would you look that over? You just give that to a lawyer or would you look it over? No, no, I, I did it because I knew, you know, being <laughs> in position, I did have I did have a soft spot in my heart for them because I knew <laughs> what it was like. 
to go out like I would uh, with my band. We'd go out of town and play, let, let's say, Penn State uh, party. Uh, uh, so I knew when I went down there, I had to they had to make us comfortable. So I made the groups that came to Wilkesbury comfortable, whatever they wanted. I gave them whatever they wanted. So you met all these characters. Well, I, I met them all. Yes. So, Get so, out of here. I can, I can do I can do five hours with you just on that. Oh, yeah. There, there were some interesting stories. Did you, uh, you, know, you know, I'll tell you an interesting story on, on Billy Joel, uh, CYC. Uh, after the show, uh, we went to the, at the time there was a Holiday Inn in downtown Scranton. We went there after the show and sat around and had some snacks. And, and he said, you but know, you, Joel, but, wait, but wait, when you say we like, what, how does that happen? What do you mean? Like before and after the show, you just say, let's go. Like, don't they have a bodyguard yeah, because, team or were things different then? If they're going to stay overnight and and so they they're in a strange town you have to i i'd like to make them feel comfortable i, I invite them out for a snack after the show or it's whatever on you like to do so it's all on you yes it's it up to the here. promoter up to the promoter to make them feel real comfortable and i i always made it a, a point but we sat around and and you know he said joey so if i ever make it big now remember now billy joe when he played scranton had about two hits and he went, he said, if I ever make it big, I don't want to play in those big places because the acoustics are terrible. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess where he plays now? He plays stadiums. Oh, oh man. So yeah. what, what was he like? He, he was a good guy? Real nice, real nice guy. I mean, most of the uh, acts that can't come to town are really, really nice people, really. Well, if you treat them right. I mean, some guys, I guess uh, some promoters couldn't care less, but I cared a lot for them. So, so rock stars, uh, maybe Blue Oyster Cult, Todd Rundgren. You have any good stories? You know areas? what? I'll tell you an interesting show I did uh, at Lock Haven State College, and I did it then the next night at the Paramount Theater in Wilkesboro. Here's the lineup. Opening act was Kiss. Second act, Rush. <laughs> and the headliner was Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, man. I can guess the year. It was probably right after Don't Fear the Reaper, 77 or something like that, maybe? Yeah, yeah. it was 74. 74? Oh. Yes. 74. I'm surprised they were the headline then. Yeah, they were the headliner. How, how about Kiss and Rush, who turned out to be monsters? I know. <laughs> so there. Gene, uh, Gene Simmons, was he arrogant? He seems like an arrogant guy. You know, here again. They're the opening act, and they were just a, a novelty act. Oh, I, yeah. These, these guys walked in with these, these makeup on their face, and <laughs> to me, it's just another novelty act. I'm, I'm more concerned about the headliner. So that's this is what happens. That's unbelievable. So when you were doing all this, um, your wife and kids and all that, or are you trying to juggle a family? How is all that going? Joe Jr. Uh, went to Lehigh University, and then he, of course, he could have gone into whatever he would like to do. But he he grew up in the record store working with his dad, and he got out of college and immediately came into the Gallery of Sound in 1988. And he's the one who expanded our art. We at one time we had 11 stores, so he was responsible for that because he was at the age where he knew what was going on more than yeah, I. He yeah, he can take it to the next level. I exactly. guess what I'm asking though, back when you were doing all this promotion and business dealing and, and in, in, in cutting deals and taking uh, these acts out and promoting, you were in your twenties, you were a married guy and you're trying to raise a family. That was your, that was your livelihood, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. 
Wow. So, so uh, how many stores did you have at the peak back then? Or was uh, that 11, late? 11 stores, 11 stores from where to where? For, well, uh, Matamoros. You ever heard of Matamoros? Yeah, Pike County, Eastern Pike yeah, County. Yeah, up that way and down down to Bloomsburg to, to cater to the college down there. And yeah. then it, it, was, it was so exploding at the time that in a little town like Wilkesbury, I had a store in downtown Wilkesbury, I had a store in the Back Mountain in Dallas, and then the store at the Wyoming Valley Mall. So I had three in one little tiny area. And then we went to... Uh, a Scranton in the Dixon City across from the Viewmont Mall, that store, and, and then they were scattered all over the place. And it was a, it was Hazelton, and you know, it was it was, a, it was great. And then through the eighties, right? Yes, into 80s, the nineties. So 90s. when you when you saw when you saw albums starting to evolve into CDs, um, that was a nice process, right? I mean, it sure was. Oh, it sure was. It was that was what year 84, maybe. CD? Yeah, I'd say mid, mid, mid 80s into the late 80s. I yeah. got my first CD player, I think mid 80s, late 80s. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Sure. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, 11 stores. Now uh, we have two and we're still <laughs> very, very busy because the, the, the big stores that the uh, Stores like the Best Buy and Walmart and Kmart, they're just about out of the music business. So we we have everything now and everybody comes to us now because we have it. That's it. So, Joe, back uh, here's where you're going to hate me and you're going to say, I'm going to stop recording. I, I want to shut this guy up. Uh, back in the 70s, 80s, I don't know, 90s, when you when you were everywhere and you had 11 stores and you're a concert promoter, were you Mr. Big Bucks? You you walking around with with millions of dollars and uh, far it, from far from it because uh the, the con every concert was not a winner that's number one and number two every time you open a store you had to go to the bank and borrow money and then <laughs> it, it, it was never uh mr big shot no not <laughs> not even not even close yeah i think you're just being humble i think you were mr big shot and still still are <laughs> uh, no it, it was a good trip it was a good trip. So um, I'm curious about any other um, of these concert promotions that you had in a car that you were taking out to eat. Any other big names you want to throw at me before? Well, you know, one uh, one was uh, at Sensui Park. We were there for like 10 years and we brought in some some real nice acts. Uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. We had one act. It was the biggest crowd ever in Sensui Park. And it was an act you would never think uh, of that it would be. It was you ever hear of Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs? Yeah, what was their song? What well, here's what happened. It was a, it was it, it's a wooden ballroom, big round, gorgeous wooden ballroom. And his first, usually the the groups when they came to Wilkesbury only had a couple of hits, two or three if they're lucky. So they rarely ever started out with their hit record. But Sam the Sham got up there, and he started his record with. Huna, dua, one, <laughs> two, three, quatta, and it's yeah, and the and the cadence with the crowd did it with them, and the floor started to move up and down, and I thought it was going <laughs> down. I thought it was going so, and that was that was pretty exciting. Another act that we had there that we we had him in three times. Uh, he would drive in from Brooklyn, just him and his guitar. And the, our, my band would back, we would rehearse in the afternoon and practice. His name was Neil Diamond. So with Neil Diamond, he would come in and we paid him the first date. I'll never forget this. The first date we paid him $400. 
The next time he came in, we paid him $750, and we were still backing him up. Then the third time now he started to get popular, he came in with a band, and we had him pay, pay $1,750. Now, you know what he turned out to be. I was going to say, that still seems low. But now, if you, oh, if man, you want wow. to book Neil Diamond in any time, concert, now it would start at $100,000. That's oh, it. That would start. So it's those kind of things. We would go out at the time, you know, here again, you just have to make them happy. Right up <laughs> the road from Chansui Park was a restaurant called Galida's. We would go there before the show, sit down and have dinner, and we'd go over and play the show. <laughs> Get out of here. That is so cool. So you would be hanging out with these guys. Uh, and is there a part of you that that was like, oh, now I have to go eat with this person or I have to Not go? Not at eat. all. I, I or do you liked it? I, I look forward to it all the time. There were some, you know, nice people. I mean, I did all kinds of music. I did country and Western. I did uh, Waylon Jennings. I mean, I, I, I did George Jones. I, I, then I did Easy Listening. I did Engelbert Humperdinck four or five times. Uh, My mom's great, favorite. Pardon me? My mom's favorite, Engelbert Humperdinck. Really, really nice man. Yeah. And, and, and he, had a, he has like a, he had a fan, fan club that followed him anytime that he played uh, the Curvy Center. I, I had to take care of the fan clubs before the, the public. The ladies love them. Good looking guy. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So, so, so now when, 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 when Napster starts to happen, streaming starts to happen, all of this starts to change 2000, 2005, six, seven, the iPhone comes out. Did you feel something was stirring? Did you feel, uh Oh, or did you, did you not see it coming? No, no, we, we saw it coming because, you know, we would talk with our, our reps from the record labels and they, they told us, uh, you know, that things are starting to happen and you know it's 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 sad for first of all of course retailers like myself and it, it's sad for the artist the more important the artist than anyone else because they they would make money they would make serious money in dollars on royalties when when they sold cds i mean they per cd you know the wholesale on a cd might have been nine or ten dollars and they would make anywhere from two to three four dollars on the wow. sale of that cd and if you now, sell a million records my gosh yes, ex exactly and you know now uh apple and spotify uh they pay uh, a penny a stream and, and something that not 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 too many people realize that that penny doesn't go to the artist. The the artist uh, the penny goes first to the right of holder, the labels, the publishers, and then they pay the artist after that. So it, it's it's so small that that it's it's sad, and they're not making a lot of fans are looking to go to Spotify and Apple and ask them to raise raise the rate. Because uh, uh, there's the money that they get, Apple and Spotify, where they, they get the money from their subscriptions. Well, if you don't have a subscription, they'll pay, they, they make it from ads. But the, the money they get from ads isn't as much as a, a subscription. So it's really low, low payments to the artist and it's sad and they're and they're all you know they're all crying and this past pandemic really hurts you know they, they're not working and i heard this story so many times and i'm glad you're here to enlighten me and keep me uh, updated on the details here's my perspective on the whole thing when i was say 16 years old 
in uh, you know late seventies, early eighties. I'm a teenager. If I had twenty bucks in my pocket, that was a lot of money, and I'd have to spend ten bucks, half of that, on one album. So you know, I buy an album for nine ninety nine. That's that's like half the money I have for a week or two. And right. then I just listen to that album over and over again, read it from front to back. And now for the same price, $9.99, I get every recording that's ever been out on planet Earth on Spotify. And here it is 30 years later, 35 years later. And it's so cheap music now. It's almost like if you want something to have value, it's got to cost more. It's now it feels disposable. I'll listen to a new album on Spotify and I'll give a quick listen. I'm like, ah, next, next. It doesn't have the deep meaning that it once had when it was my only investment for the week or the month. You know, what I mean? let me let me ask you a question. When you listen to your the music on Spotify, what what do you hear it through headset or what do you hear it on? Well, I think I know where you're going with that, Joe, because I have three children now, college age and beyond. And they were not into home stereo systems like I was. You know how every teenager, 70s and 80s, we had big sound systems. You wanted to hear the woofer and the tweeter and the thump. And now kids are just listening either on their phone or on some cheesy Bluetooth device. So what I do now is I have my Spotify going through my stereo system with big speakers. But my kids laugh at me like, why am I doing all that? But you, <laughs> but I don't think sound has the same value it did back in the 70s and 80s. They don't I, think I don't, understand. I don't understand that. But I can tell you this. Now, you've heard of Record Store Day. Mm hmm. Well, that that was formed by a group of independent record stores. Uh, and Joe Jr., by the way, was one of the founding members. It, it's to celebrate the culture of the independent record stores. So it, it was the rebirth of vinyl. Now, that, that's important. When I say vinyl, I don't know how close you are to understanding what's happening in the world of vinyl. Are you? I've heard the vinyl resurgence, but I still think it's kind of minimal, isn't it, in comparison or not really? Well, it's 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 at a level now where it's totally a blow blew away CD sales, and it's it's uh, it's very interesting. I mean, you uh, to to an experience that you should should, should try is come down on on record store day and see the line of people outside the store waiting to get in and buy the vinyl because they're put out in limited editions uh special colors uh marbled records box sets there 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 was a recent one by Paul McCartney that came out in white vinyl well we were only able to buy a limited amount and, and sold them out in the first hour and it's that kind of thing that's it's a lot of fun people are buying vinyl and then there's another market for the used records we have a huge section of used vinyl and and it, they sell anywhere from one dollar to ten dollars used in good condition we only buy you good condition vinyl and people will walk out of the store no exaggeration 10 20 30 albums at a time who what age group who's buying these things? oh you know that's the interesting part you'll come in and you look around and you see these people <laughs> buying uh lps and they're they're in the 20 20 plus years not not old people right and, and they're buying the classic rock stuff you know the top, <laughs> top sellers in our store now if you said you know what what's selling now there's a lot of stuff that you don't know and I don't know, but there's there's like Alice Cooper is a monster. Uh, Black, Sabbath, Black Sabbath is a monster. 
Pink Floyd, I'm sure, still. Right? Oh, my God. Pink Floyd is through the wall. ACDC. I know something about that genre and that time. I bet you a lot of people are buying the vinyl. My son is in his 20s, and he buys vinyl every now and then. But, Does he? Does he? but I never see the vinyl on, on a on a turntable. It's just like he has it as a part of his collection, but he's not. Right? To it, you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. But but I, I know, so this has changed so much. If you can explain this to me, here's what I don't get. And I keep lo- using Blue Oyster Cult as an example. Let me say I'm the members of Blue Oyster Cult, right? Yes. I think they were uh, Columbia Records. Yes. Right? So I made all that music with Columbia. Who then, what is Spotify? Spotify buys all the rights of all their music from Columbia, like those two set up a deal, Spotify and Columbia and said, we're going to buy all your music. Is that how it happened? They, they don't really buy it. They, they, they get you the use of it. In other words, they're, they're, they're allowed to use it, but they don't buy it. They, they don't own it. Uh, so Spotify pays Columbia for the use of all Blue Oyster Cult music. Positively. positively. And then how, so in Blue Oyster Cult, the members of the band never had a say in the, in the process is that what happened along the way it depends on the contract it really some have to go out and renegotiate the contracts because it's a new world we're in because th- there was no such thing as spotify when the first contracts were written up so and that's a whole new world by the way you mentioned blue oyster cult i i still do concerts now and <clears throat> i have blue oyster cult t- penciled in to come to wilkesbury in November, if, <laughs> if this thing ever opens up where we can go to 100 percent. But we're, we're, I want to bring them back as I did them years ago. So I'd love to bring them back to Wilkesbury. And it's on the table right oh, now. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm just wondering why even big acts like let's say it's ACDC, let's say it's Pink Floyd. Why, when I listen to them on Spotify, are they getting just pennies? Why, why don't they have the negotiation power? To make that greater, who, who, why, how did Spotify come in with such oppression? I guess is what I'm saying. How did that happen? Well, the streaming beginning of streaming is is a, a, to me a very complicated business. Uh, I don't understand it to be honest with you, but they the, the labels themselves make the deal, and they they saw their sales because of illegal streaming. Uh-huh. They, they saw a lot of things happening, so they went and made deals. For them to at least get paid because they were they were stealing it before. Oh, but it was minimal, and then they didn't even think about the artist, right? Yes, yes, yes. And you know, do the numbers. You know, uh, I I know that Spotify has probably 150 million paid subscribers. Now, if you and, and what do you pay? Ten dollars? Yeah, yeah, ten bucks a month. And my math, I can't go that high. Ten dollars times one hundred and fifty million is what they, <laughs> they. What is that monthly? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they make per month. Unbelievable. And they're, and, they're, and they're still arguing not to pay more than a penny uh, per stream. Sad. I know. So. If you're if you're giving out if you're making 1.5 billion per month, so where's all that money going? Into the stockholders. Oh. <laughs> but but a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. A lot of it does go to royalties because they do have to pay all the artists and 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 everybody, your kids and everybody else are listening to a very. Uh, some listen to country, some listen to rap, some listen to reggae, whatever. But it's it's scattered out pretty much, and whatever they pay play they have to pay so it's 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 
I'll bet uh, half of half of it goes out in royalties. Half of it. The rest goes in their pockets to the stockholders. That's amazing. And yeah. even even songs that we all know, let's say You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. I hear for as many times as that's played, the check from Spotify isn't that impressive. No, 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 not at all. Not yeah, at all. That's what's hard <laughs> to believe. It really is. It really is. And hopefully... They'll they'll raise that level to the point where they'll make a little bit more money because it's it's don't forget these are the guys who created the music they wrote the music they performed it yes. that's the talent yes yes, end of it, yes. You know, and they're not getting paid for it that's the sad part I know yeah. well you hit I mean you hit it right you you came in at the right time and I guess you're an older guy now so it doesn't I mean it matters but it doesn't you know you you can just go to Florida and and sleep on hundred dollar bills so you you know first of all first of all that people ask me what when am I going to retire and you know it's not in my vocabulary <laughs> to retire to retire to me means you're going to retire to bed for the evening and that's oh it. I love it yeah <laughs> Well, I think if you find something you love, because I love meteorology and teaching science and all that, why would you want to retire from something you love? That doesn't make sense. Exactly. Exactly. I, I get up every morning and I love for everything. I come to the store every day and oh, I yeah. love what I do. Every day I'm at the Gallery of Sound. Every day. And I love it. I oh, love that's it. Great. So when you when you said you had about a dozen stores. Uh, how many stores? I thought you said a, a dozen, 11, 12, 11, 11. 11. And now it's three. Two. Two. I didn't know that. So the only two remaining ones are where? Wilkes-Barre and Dixon City. So right down the road for me, the Dixon City one. So yes. uh, may I ask, um, the, the other ones just, it, it, the business model changed, so you just sh shut them down. We, we had to because we saw the volume coming down and, and uh, we had to do it. The, the writing was on the wall. So, uh, yes, we, we just I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to see that we're still in business. Uh, a, a lot of credit to my son because he's the guy who, who knows today's music. Me, I just I just see the names. I don't know what they sound like. but <laughs> <laughs> Some some are uh, some strange things out there, but, you know, rap, uh, you know, some hot guys and rap and and I don't like rap. But I sell it what it is. It is. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't either. So when you go to the store, what do you what do you see now? Is it is it would you say it's leveled off or is it still on the decline or is oh, no, it it's, it's very, very exciting. You get some new releases to blow out uh, like there was there were some things that come out like they're waiting for for the new uh, reissue of this or reissue of that. And, and here again, the young people are into it, even though they, they're listening to Spotify. They're, they're still buying CDs are not dead. I'll tell you what didn't help the CD business was when the car manufacturers stopped putting CD players <laughs> in the cars. That really, really hurt the business. I mean, I don't I don't understand how the, the, the record industry let that happen. But, you know, they let it slip by. It's it's sad. I have heard that, that a lot of people will look for a car just with the CD player. So because they, they have all these CDs, I have tons exactly. myself. Yeah. They they do a rig. You can do it. You can bring it down. Yeah, yeah, right. And you plug it in and all yeah. that. But it, it's a pain. Exactly. So uh, without me getting too personal, though, for the two remaining stores, um, did they did they bottom out years ago? Is it on the re is it on the rebound now, or is it leveled off, or it's getting oh, better? Yeah, now, now believe it or not, it's exploding because is that right? 
Oh, really? Really is. Uh, we're we're considering maybe going expanding again, but right right now it because of the the up surge in vinyl. I can't believe what's going on. So and then the record record prices by CD prices, by the way, have come down a lot. So it, it, they used to list for eighteen ninety five. The majority now are are running anywhere from ten to thirteen dollars. So that the prices are way down. It's encouraging a lot of people to buy a lot of CDs. They they don't walk out with one anymore. They walk out with three, four, five at a time. Oh, that's pretty cool. Plus, you guys have all that uh, those cool posters and uh, yes. trinkets and, uh, yes. and all the other stuff. Yes, and we sell uh, a lot of books, music-related books, but I, I sell them at prices you can't believe. I mean, it's it's stuff that that's overruns or whatever they are, but they're really, really great prices on books. That's excellent. It's funny how uh, when I think back, not too long ago, I mean, only 15 years, maybe a little bit more, maybe not, I'm not sure, but... Um, when you when a when a band comes out with an album and you know that they have a new recording out i would run down to your store in dixon city because you would have the little preview booths and you can listen to them before you buy them yes and i tell my kids that now and that's like so odd for them to hear because you can listen to anything now before you there's no buying it it's just out there i said this is how rare music was back then you'd want to preview just a minute sample of the song before you invest $10 in buying it. Yes. You know I mean, that world. So I'd go down to your place and just listen to hundreds of CDs to preview them because you were the only previewer in town. Right. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was, it's, it's, it, it was, you know, it's still very exciting. Believe me, I, I wish you people like you would come in and just spend a, a Saturday here and see what goes on. It's just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, there's definitely a record store culture out there, and uh, I was a part of it, and I got out of it. And I think you're right. I'm going to get back into it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's always amazing the number of great people in my life I wouldn't have met if it wasn't for music. I, 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 so let's start with Joe Snedeker. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right. It's, it's, it really, really is a great, great uh, career I've had. Well, I love how you uh, you sent me that letter, and that's why this happened. And it's not that you were offended, but you wanted to say, "Hey, Snedeker, well, you know, watch it. Don't be bragging about about yes about yes. streaming music because there's a lot of people whose lives have been altered by this." Yes, and you know, and I, I always think of the artist. I, I I think of the record store, but that's really second, believe, because I'm a musician and I know what the musicians are going through in their career, and it's get it's hurting them because they counted heavily on their music royalties. Yeah, but but you know, there's the other side of this, Joe, and I have to tell myself this too. I'm now 55, you know, getting up there in age. But the the point is, I remember reading when when the model. The Model A and the Model T, the first cars were coming out, uh, that those, the people who were using horse as transportation still back then were laughing at all of the guys who would drive these new clunky gasoline engines. Like, yeah, you can't be a friend with, a, you can't have a friend with a car like you can with a horse. <laughs> and they saw that as laughable. And here, here, how times have changed. And they oh. used to laugh at people who didn't make their own clothes. Now they're buying their clothes or couldn't tan their own leather. So this is just another evolution of humanity. We're going in the direction of streaming and you, you can't really curse at it. It's just the way it's going, right? 
Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I think a lot has to do with, with coming in to, and touching and feeling the CD, the LP, turn it over and read the liner notes. And, and it's something that you're tangible. The, you know, the Spotify and Apple, it's not very tangible. You're listening to something, but you're looking at out in space, I guess. But when you put that LP on that on that turntable yeah. and you hold that record, you, you've got something. And it, it has a lot to do lot to do with it. You're one with it. I know what you mean. So do you, do, uh, here's pure honesty now. Do you have any account with uh, Apple or Spotify or no? Who's that? You. What? Have any account with Spotify or Apple? Do you do you stream at all or no? I I do not. I do. You not. do not stream. I I do not stream. No no no. I I, I just uh, you know it, it's it's progress. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm at my desk, I'll go to YouTube and and have them play some music while I'm doing something at my desk. Yes, YouTube. Yeah. It's so convenient. That's the problem. You yes, know? yes. And you just, you know, I know what you're saying. You punch up what you want. And if you want to hear a new thing or an old thing, it's there. Boom, it's immediately. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is. But so, the nostalgia is definitely taken away. And the romance with the physical object is gone. You're yes, right. Yes, yes. I wonder what it's going to be like in 10, 20, 30 years. Well, prediction? you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I I the the entertainment business certainly is changing so i i have no idea we can't see that one <laughs> we can't see that one it's true my man sure well, well you know what i want to thank you for coming in is there anything that you feel i left out that uh, i wanted to get from your brain your rich history your career your stories it was great i loved it uh you know, no but I, I really appreciate you uh, asking me to get on on the line with you because it it brings back a lot of memories and that i i sometimes forget but it it was a it was a great run i had and it still is and i still still have the record stores oh by the way i still play music once a year we we get a reunion with the all-stars and we play it at the iron temple country club pavilion which is similar to San so we open sides and it sells out every year and that's once a year which is great i mean uh, uh, it's a big uh, thing for my ego so <laughs> it, it's it's so i'm still there playing this and that and, and i'm still around and it's it's important and the and the women love a musician still, right? I I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for everything, Joe. We appreciate it. You're you're a great man, a legend, and uh, I appreciate all the uh, outlets you had, the promotions you made, and you being on planet Earth has made uh, it a better place, no doubt, for us music lovers. So thank you for the invitation. I really, really appreciate it. You got it. We'll get this out to the world in the next uh, few days to a week, and then we'll get it on uh, on all outlets and promote it on WNEP. We appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We're going to hit yeah. the stop recording button. You have a great day. Okay. Thanks, Joe. You got it. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.